0: Welcome in to the BetUS College Football Show, and it is the CFP National Title Preview Show. we got a lot to talk about, and if we ever needed proof that Los Angeles maybe should not be hosting college football playoff championship games, uh, it was just revealed on Twitter just a little while ago that they're not going to allow tailgating in the parking lot. Uh, I feel like that's a fabric of the college football world, Uh, but regardless, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this game. We're going to talk about the numbers. I am your host. Gary Seegers, you can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. Let me go ahead and bring in uh, our very valued analysts here, our experts, if you will. On the right side of the screen is our award-winning professional handicapper, Kyle Hunter. He is at KyleHunterPicks on Twitter. Kyle, how are you feeling today? Good, sir?
1: I'm doing well, man. Um, One more game to talk about here. It's hard to believe we've gone this far through the
0: season. It just feels like we just got started. No, you have certainly got that right. It it seems to go faster every single year for whatever reason. Uh, regardless, uh, we'll go on and bring in the left side of the screen. Of course, the man who is all smiles, who is incredibly excited to be talking about his team here, Parker Fleming at Stats of War. He is the numbers guy, our analyst. I call him the numerical guru. Uh, Parker, would you have ever dreamed that by the time we do this national championship breakdown that your TCU Horn Frogs uh, would be right here in the middle of it. No,
2: man, it absolutely feels unreal. And it's definitely a good litmus test for how you should um, rein in your emotions when you're making picks and handicapping games, because uh, I can definitely feel the emotional turmoil and the excitement inside of me as I'm uh, approaching these games. But, man, really exciting, really fun season for TCU, and and just pretty incredible that we are where we are, given that I was saying eight and four would be a good season to to start uh, the year. So just just thrilled,
0: been really, really fun. No, it is definitely, definitely a good time. Uh, I am excited about it. We'll uh, we'll go ahead and tell everybody. first off, the show is on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 1 pm Eastern time, however, We are going to be here with a props uh, preview, I guess you could say, a little more discussion about the game next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, so make sure and set your calendars so that you can come back and join us there. Uh, Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel so that you don't miss any content from us over the next however many months, whatever we end up doing there. Uh, As you guys know, we talk about games. After this one, there's not really a lot going on as far as games are concerned, but You never know when we're going to pop on that dial, so make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Hit the notification bell. It'll let you know when we go live. And, of course, make sure that you like this video. The likes always help us out algorithmically. I like to say that to sound smart, of course, but uh, it does some crazy stuff in the background, and it certainly helps us out on the channel. There is also the podcast version of the show. That is the BetUS Football Show. It is both the NFL feed and the college football feed. All right there in one neat, tidy little package, and you can leave a nice five-star review on that as well. Uh, Gentlemen, let's go ahead and show what our records have been thus far on the season. We like to be as transparent as possible, and so far through this season, I am sitting at 57, 39, and 3. That is 18 games above 500, and that ain't too bad. Uh, Kyle, 34, 31, and 1. Parker, 46, 48, and 1. Overall, the show is hitting at 53.73%. It is 137, 118, and 5. That is profitable. Bowl season has been generous to us, gentlemen. Uh, I have have felt pretty, pretty good about bowl season thus far. All of us have had a winning record so far in bowl season. All right, we've only got one bowl game left, and that is, of course, the national championship game. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into this one. Monday, January 9th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Georgia, a 12.5-point favorite over the TCU Horned Frogs. The total sits at 63. This one being held at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, right outside of L.A., I guess you could say. And let's co- of course go through uh, some of the the latest trends. I guess uh, Georgia two and three against the spread as a double-digit favorite uh, in their last five. They are one and three against the spread in their last four games overall. TCU three and one straight up as an underdog in 2021 at the closing line, of course, and. Uh, Excuse me, in 2022, not 2021, uh, but they are 2-2 two and two against the spread in their last four. Of course, they covered and won outright as a dog against Michigan just last week. Injuries to pay attention to, uh, and Kyle, I'm going to start with you here. The running back, Kendra Miller, tweaked a knee. He plans to play, uh, but he was now listed as questionable just yesterday. Uh, now, Amari DiMarcado, the running back, last week, uh, 17 Runs for 150 yards. He did have one touchdown against Michigan. He performed uh, beyond admirably in that spot. Uh, for Georgia, injuries to pay attention to. The tight end, Darnell Washington, stepped on while he was making a block. Uh, it's a left ankle injury. He was in a boot. He was on crutches. Uh, who knows whether or not he's going to play. Kirby Smart said it. he's going to try to play. We'll see what that actually means. Uh, And then along with that, the offensive lineman, uh, McClendon, uh, which uh, Amarius Sims came in and backed him up, uh, did a a pretty good job there. The outside linebacker, uh, Chambliss, uh, he also dealt with an injury, but it looks like both of those guys are going to be back this week. Uh, Chambliss was uh, helping replace Nolan Smith, who who went out earlier this year. Gentlemen, Kyle, let's start with you. Uh, This is a difficult one to try and handicap right now. Uh, Georgia, all of their numbers, of course, look really, really good so far on the season. But you saw some vulnerabilities in that defense with what Ohio State was able to do against them. TCU, on the other hand, uh, I don't know that there's another team that is as opportunistic as this bunch. Uh, The numbers may not say that TCU uh, can win this game, but my goodness, they have found ways to win games where they've been down multiple times. Uh, They never trailed against Michigan. So never had to worry about coming back. Kyle, what do you see happening between the Horn Frogs and the Bulldogs?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think uh, we, we ought to look back a little bit as we talk about this one as well, too. And, I, you know, obviously I don't want to look back on it too much as a Buckeyes <laughs> fan based on how that game ended. Certainly Ohio State played really well. Um, I think that's uh, that was a great performance by the Buckeyes. I just didn't finish the deal. Uh, C.J. Stroud played amazing in that game. I don't think he's played a better game in his Ohio State career than he did in that one. Um, Stetson Bennett took care of business at the end of the game. Uh, he has proven to be a gamer for sure. Um, fourth quarter seems to be his best quarter. As far as TCU over Michigan, I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, there were two pick sixes for TCU. Um, that's how they got their win." You know, actually, Michigan uh, beat them on the field. You know, outgained them badly. Uh, they were both teams 7.0 yards per play. Uh, both teams turned it over three times. I think it's a little disrespectful to tcu to make it sound like michigan really outplayed them badly and tcu was just fortunate to get two pick sixes tcu had a 56 percent success rate in that game so excellent against a michigan defense it's very good no doubt they're a very good defense michigan's late down failures uh really bit them quite a bit three for 13 on third down um, zero for two on fourth down tcu was eight for 16 on third down so that made a big difference And I, I would say, as, as it goes, um, Georgia, Georgia's defense has proven to be vulnerable against the deep ball. Um, Stroud took advantage of that when he had Harrison in the game. It certainly hurt them a lot when Harrison was out. Uh, you know, he's their deep ball guy. You already have no Smith and Jigba, uh, no Travion Henderson. Uh, at the end, it was kind of Stroud scrambling for a bunch of yards, which as a Buckeyes fan, I thought I'd never see, <laughs> and yet he was doing a good <laughs> job uh, doing that there at the end of the game. Um, I think Ohio State settled for a field goal far too easily at the end of the game. Uh, and that was the one frustrating part for me as a fan. But as far as this game, when it gets broken down, uh, can TCU uh, go after uh, Georgia in the way that Ohio State did, in the way that LSU did the game before? Remember, uh, Nussmeier was just chucking it downfield, um, average depth of target of almost 18 yards. Uh, I wonder if TCU will take quite a few shots downfield. They certainly have a star wide receiver in Johnston. Uh, to try to get the ball too deep. They don't have the depth at wide receiver that Ohio State does, but they have one superstar for sure. Uh, Max Duggan, a 92.9 PFF grade on passes 20 yards or more, so he can definitely throw the deep ball. I would expect uh, plenty of those shots there. Um, TCU did give up that first big run to Edwards to start the game, and I thought, oh, man, and they just gashed him right up the middle on the first play. And really, they did very well stopping the Michigan running game after that play.
0: Let me impressed. let me interrupt you right quick. One of the most telling stats for me from that game was the fact that Michigan, uh, one of every four runs was stuffed. So it was either stopped at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. That was incredible to me. Uh, Parker, I'm going to bring you in real quick. What is the uh, what's the Joe Gillespie defense called? Is it the spill and kill?
2: The spill and kill. Yeah. And so, especially on that first run, if you go look at back, you know, there's much made about Michigan's physicality. Um, you look on that first run. What really happened on that very first run is that TC's linebackers came in, uh, maybe taking a couple scoops of pre-workout, and were a little wild and and, and over pursued and hit. I mean, hit the hit the linebacker pretty hard or hit the fullback pretty hard coming out. And uh, and the big issue there was Edwards got in the A gap instead of the B gap. The safety can't take an angle. He's gone. But TCU did uh, make a tackle there, which is the big thing against Michigan, and and I think will be the big thing against Georgia is. You're gonna make a mistake. That's just gonna happen. You're playing against an extremely talented offense. Can you make that mistake not end at seven? Can you make them have to line up and run three or four more plays to get the touchdown and not give them an easy seven with those big mistakes? And TC secondary has shown that they can run and uh, and and absolutely run run those down. Um, but yeah, the defense definitely gave Michigan some problems in terms of its complexity and positioning um, after that after that
0: first play. All right, Kyle. Back to you. I my apologies for interrupting, but man, you you made me think of that. Uh, That stuff rate uh, statistic was just insane. 25% stuff rate for TCU's defense in that game was just insane.
1: Uh, I think it's good. We can have some back and forth here, right? We've got one game to talk about. We don't have this long list of games to try to get through. (laughs) So I'm good with some back and forth here today. Um, If you look at team talent rankings, it would be hard to say TCU is going to win this game. Um, But TCU has found ways to win games so far this year. And I don't think Georgia has looked unbeatable. Um, you know, Georgia is a very good team. They, they don't have the type of defense they had last year. Um, they're relying more on the offense. I did want to say 86% of the bets are on TCU so far. You do see this in a lot of the title games that the public does want to take the underdog in games like this. And obviously, Joe Public hasn't really bet this game as much as they will right before the, the kickoff, certainly. But uh, the public likes the underdog. They want to root for the underdog here. Um, what will that do with this line? I'm not really sure because I don't think this line comes down a lot. Um, it's edged down a little bit so far. Um, it, it, in this one, I, I really think that uh, Bennett, they need Bennett to have some pressure. He's 90 PFF grade, uh, kept clean, and 60 PFF grade under pressure. Uh, TCU haven't, hasn't had a great pass rush throughout the course of the season. I'm curious to see how much they, they send blitzes in this game versus sitting back. Um, that'll be interesting to me. The two teams are 79th and 109th in tempo. It's hard to bet an over at this high of a number. But you guys know, I mean, who really wants to bet an under? I mean, we've been watching these games. <laughs> I mean, I'm an under-better first. You guys know this, but I don't want to bet an under in this game. I I wouldn't feel very comfortable betting an under here, thinking there could be some big plays from both sides. And in a game like this, if TCU is staying close at all, then then uh, Georgia's going to keep scoring here, I think, and uh, TCU has big playability. Uh, I'm, I'm just afraid, as far as TCU side, I'm afraid Georgia's depth and overall talent advantage might be too much in the end game. So I think I would lean the first half TCU if I was taking TCU here. I think this is a really hard bet to make, and I know uh, people are going to be saying you guys should be making a bet or two bets or something like that, but... Do keep in mind that we're trying to make money, make this profitable long-term, and and we got one game to pick from here. Uh, I'm excited that we're doing the player prop show on Monday, too, so that we can have some more bets out there.
0: Oh, most certainly. Yes. A reminder again, of course, Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be back, uh, basically breaking this thing down just a few hours before it happens. But we're going to be going over player props. There will be more bets uh, put on the board between now and then. So, yeah, we're going to try and take advantage of some of those because these numbers are incredibly tight right now. I mean, there are any model that you find is going to have this thing somewhere between about 10 and 14 or so. Uh, it's, it's just a really, really tight number. My numbers, uh, have it, I've got two different models that I want to use on this one, 11.7 and 12.6 in favor of Georgia. So the fact that this thing is sitting at 12 and a half, there's just no real way that I can play this thing, but hey, we can break this thing down and we can try and figure out exactly uh, where the win might come from. If it were to happen, how is it going to happen for TCU? Uh, Parker, you know, we'll move over to you. The stat that could absolutely keep TCU in this game, turnover margin. TCU is number 17 on the season. Georgia is number 75. Now, if you want to go even further in depth into that, TCU is number 14 in giveaways per game. Georgia is number 102. So not only does TCU not turn the ball over all that much, I know they turned it over three times against Michigan, um, but Georgia is number 102 in in taking the ball away from opponents. So that's something that uh, you might want to look into. Georgia, on the other hand, on offense, number 44 in giveaways. TCU is number 50 in takeaways. So if there were to be a way for TCU to stay in this game, that would certainly be one of the things. The other thing that I think TCU could take advantage of, and this is a slight weakness with that Georgia defense, TCU, it, their offense on the season, number two in passing explosiveness, Georgia's defense is number 46. So they they do allow some big plays. Uh, you can also look at the havoc rate. So we did have, uh, who was it in the chat here? Uh, Savage Dog jumped in. He said, will TCU have time to take long shots down the field? I think the Dog's D-line against TCU O-line is a bad mismatch. Eh, if you look at Havoc rate, TCU's offense, number 22 in Havoc allowed on the season. Georgia's defense is number 76. Uh, they, they don't really do a great job of, of rushing the passer. And you kind of saw that against C.J. Stroud. Now, every now and then they will bring some blitzes where they just bring the house like they did on, uh, on that last third down uh, against Ohio State that ended up leading to the field goal. But for the most part, they, they've had a little trouble getting home this year. Uh, Parker, walk me through some of this. How what what should we expect in a game of this magnitude?
2: Well, I think the offensive line is a great place to start, especially when you're asking about will TCU have time to hit those deep shots in, um, excuse me, in in this game and get that explosive offense downfield. Well, the reality is that TCU only had 255 passing yards against Michigan, and one, um, 76 of those came on one Quentin Johnston play where he caught the ball. Uh, 78 yeah 76 where he caught the ball um, two yards behind the line of scrimmage Um, and so the other one was um, Michigan running a corner blitz uh, leaving Quinton Johnston open which is um, a bold decision I don't know if bold's the right word there but it's certainly a decision Um, and and so was wide open a lot of what TCU's done this year especially with Garrett Riley and and his scheme has been so much confusion and so much um, variety that has said we're just going to find a way to get the guys uh get get a guy open so tcu really didn't have that much of a downfield passing attack um uh, against michigan they really had to scheme up ways to get the guys the ball and mo- one of the reasons two TCU's two passing plays that were touchdowns came on the same exact play this little shallow screen he comes back behind the line lineman can block it's downfield Lincoln riley um, special right it, it is the lincoln riley special absolutely <laughs> and if you look on both of those um tcu Max Duggan just caught the ball and turnaround, right? And just immediately said, Nope, we're getting there pressuring a lot. Michigan brought a lot more pressure in the second half, was much more disruptive um, there as well. So I certainly expect Georgia to do that, banking on. Um, Max Duggan's strength not be not being throwing on the run. Whereas CJ Stroud does have another gear. He can he can be a little bit elusive, he can make those throws on the run. That's not been something that Max Duggan has excelled at this season. When you look, um, the difference between pressure and non-pressure for him is is pretty stark. This season he's been kept clean on 68% of dropbacks and pressured on about 32. He's completing 73.9 percent of his um uh passes. Uh, when he's kept clean, only 44.0% when he is um, under pressure, and he has uh, six six of his 10 turnover-worthy plays uh, on, on those pressure dropbacks as well. So if they can disrupt hey, me, him, I think that's me, really good. Let me related. interrupt let me you real quick
0: offense. on those yeah. disruptions. Uh, scrambles. Like uh, Max Duggan can run the ball, and what I saw from C.J. Stroud last week, which, uh, as Kyle mentioned, we have not seen that uh, really out of C.J. Stroud, but it, it appears to maybe be a bit of a vulnerability with that Kirby Smart defense uh, to where a quarterback might be able to find some extra yardage, you know, uh, that that hidden yardage, I guess, whatever you want to call it, where they steal it, basically. Uh, is that something that Max Duggan can take advantage of, or was that just a completely different setup? Um, I guess that, like those jailbreak scenarios, right, where Georgia just brings everybody is that a situation where you can run maybe a quarterback draw, something along those lines? What what could you look for Duggan to do maybe with his feet in a situation like that?
2: Well, the, the good news for TCU about their offense is that they haven't had to use Max Duggan's leg, whereas the last three years, uh, legs very often last three years, he was kind of running for his life. Um, he has he has 63 attempts this year rushing, but um, uh, some of those are designed. They've, they've been able to feature his legs instead of you know relying on them to bail him out. If you look at his scrambles, only 19 scrambles this year compared to 34 last year, 22 in 2020, and 40 in 2019. So definitely a reflection of the health of the offense. One thing that Max Duggan has, has done differently this season running an offense where he has to make multiple reads is that his time to throw is up substantially. 2.72 seconds, and as a result, his pressure to sack rate is 19.7. So that's almost one out of every five pressures is converted to a sack against Max Duggan. Um, That's not saying as much about his rushing ability this season as it is that he is being encouraged and being coached and trying to make his reads get the ball downfield maybe holding on to the ball a little bit too long because for the last three years he's had to run for his life maybe doesn't have a great internal clock as a result so when we're thinking about pressure we also have to think about the multiplicity of the reads and the fact that again Max Duggan not that he cannot process at a level that CJ Stroud did but that he has not been asked to and not been trained to do that and so that could definitely be disruptive as well he might have great rushing ability he might have great ability to make those reads can he do both of those at the same time with i don't know jalen carter running at him um that's going to be a different question certainly about that offense you'll you'll wonder how tcu will scheme up passes you know behind at the line maybe maybe outside screens try and spread georgia out and then punish them on this the seams inside TCU has two big tight ends who are both reliable pass catchers in, uh, Joe Kravya, Spivey and, and Jared Wiley. They have not been used very well this season or haven't, you know, haven't been super involved. Uh, I think that's kind of something lurking where TCU says, Hey, maybe this is a way we can get, um, a little bit more involvement over the seams, you know, add another dimension to our offense 21st or 21 uh, targets for Wiley and 13 for Spivey on the whole season. So can, um, can TCU find a way to scheme those big guys open? When Georgia inevitably says we're just going to deny Quentin Johnston. Uh, one, one one stat, and I'll end my monologue here. Uh, looking at Ohio State and how they attacked Georgia, and TCU and how they attacked Michigan. Um, you know, Quentin Johnston was responsible for 93% of targets and 95% of yards for Ohio or for for Georgia. Or, uh, huh, wrong team on both sides. For TCU <laughs> against Michigan. Um, and uh, six guys had, you know, he had uh, six players had at least two targets for TCU. Um, They really spread the ball around, but they only got production out of Johnston. On the other hand, in Ohio State's game, uh, four receivers combined for 93% of targets and 95% of yards. Only six players recorded a target total. So Georgia said, here are our guys. We're going to consistently move through them, get them the ball. TCU says, we have our one guy, and then it's a little bit nebulous about what happens. We're going to need a lot more involvement. So if TCU is going to pull this off, um, and even keep this close, we're talking about this from betting sense, they're going to have to find guys who haven't necessarily been super involved. You're going to hear names you haven't heard before because they're going to have to find ways to get the ball to different people as Quentin Johnston is is uh, locked up.
0: I There's so many different things that you can dive into in a game like this. Uh, if Georgia does decide to just double-team Quentin Johnston and whoever else beats us, well, that'll be fine, but we're not letting this guy do it. Uh, there's there's plenty of guys on TCU's team that can do that. They've shown it week in and week out, uh, the ability to do that. I mean, we didn't even see Quentin Johnston really do anything for the first three weeks of the season. So let's talk about just overall numbers here. Uh, And Kyle, I want to get you back in on this. When you look at, at just the overall full season PPA margin, Georgia is number one, TCU is number 25. When you look at net points per drive, Georgia is number one, TCU is number 16. When you look at two uh, points per play margin, then it gets a little tighter. Georgia is number three, TCU is number eight. I, I'm still, uh, let me go on and tell you, Kyle, my lean is still to TCU, even though my numbers are uh, very, very tight on this number. And it's because they've been so opportunistic right? That's, that's my biggest thing. I I don't know what the loss of Darnell Washington is going to mean to that Georgia offense. Uh, I wouldn't imagine it changes a whole lot of what they try and do. Uh, but Kyle, you know, if, have you got a lean in this game that maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling like a certain way, even if, uh, if, if you don't want to give it out as an official play.
1: Yeah. My, my lean is TCU plus seven in the first half. Um, just thinking that TCU is, um, very well coached. I think the coordinators for TCU are probably about the most underrated in the country. Um, Gillespie's done a great job scheming up things. Um, The offensive coordinator has always done a good job as well. I think uh, Sonny Dykes uh, is an underrated coach. Uh, I think uh, Kirby Smart's an excellent coach. So this is not me saying Kirby Smart's not a great coach, but uh, TCU usually should be able to hang around in a game like this. Um, I guess the question is, too, uh, for Johnston, uh, does that mean that Ringo will be the one on Johnston here? Was that what we would assume?
0: I would think he would be one. That's of one. my assumption. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because uh, I'm assuming that. And I know some Georgia fans will say Ringo is going to lock down Johnston. Honestly, Ringo's coverage grades are not great this year. And uh, he had some mistakes in that Ohio State game as well. I think Johnston might be able to get open. I think they're probably going to need uh, to give Ringo some help in a game like this because. Uh, Ringo's coverage grade for the year is 68 and a half. It was 59.8 PFF grade against Ohio State. I do think Johnston can get open here um, unless they give him a lot of help. So I I think my two leans would be TCU plus seven in the first half. And I think I would go against uh, what I would usually want to bet here and lean to the over, uh, thinking that there will be some scoring in this game because, um, I see big plays happening each way. You know I'm already looking at the props list on BetUS, and we'll talk about this a lot more on Monday, but longest touchdown in the game over 47 and a half yards. I I'm, think, I'm thinking that, that that could definitely happen in a game like this. Both of these teams have potential to get some big touchdowns. Um, yeah, my lean is TCU in the first half and um, I think that um, TCU will be able to score some points here. The question is can TCU's defense get stops? Uh, Stetson Bennett, the Georgia offense, are better than they were last year. Um, this is a, and Bowers is a matchup nightmare. I mean, we pro- probably should say that. Uh, I don't know that TCU has played anybody that w- will be anything what uh, anything similar to what Brock Bowers is going to bring to the table, and I think that could be an issue for the TCU defense. So, my thought is both teams have matchup advantages on offense. Um, the The pace that they play makes me not really want to bet an over but I can't bet an under here, so my lean would be the over. Um, I think TCU can hang around in a game like this some, but I do think that Georgia's team talent overall is tough to overcome.
0: What, what do you think about uh, the team total over for TCU? It's 24 and a half, so it's, it's uh, juiced at minus 125, but regardless, uh, what about that one?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good bet. I mean, if you're thinking Georgia's going to play from the lead, it's, it's probably a, a solid play too because TCU will speed up um, they'll take more shots downfield. Uh, Georgia's favored by 12 and a half points, so I, I think TCU will probably end up playing with tempo at some point in this game. Um, yeah, I, I would lean to TCU team total over.
0: That's uh, you you brought up you know Bowers, uh, you know Schoonmaker, the tight end for Michigan, went out kind of early uh, in that game. Um, at, well, Parker, you may have to correct me on that. It looks like he only had one reception, but it was for. Uh, 32 yards. Uh, are tight ends an issue that uh, the TCU's had an issue with all year, or is was it just like a a one game? Well, I take that back. Loveland had four receptions for uh, for 36 yards. Uh, is that something that's been a bit of an issue against that 30-35?
2: Not entirely. I think you could look at some of the great tight ends that TC's played this year, and and certainly like uh, you know Oklahoma, um, they didn't they weren't uh, manipulated by those tight ends because there were some injury issues at quarterback. You look at uh, Mason Fairchild from Kansas is not necessarily kind of your prototypical. He's a little he's a little stouter than your typical. Um, <laughs> Tight end, and he just kind of finds himself open in certain places. Uh, a lot of that is scheme, and just you know, big man catches the ball, rumbling and stumbling, which is great to see. So tc got burned on a couple of those, but that's not really the style of play that Georgia runs. Georgia's not looking to leak their, you know, leak Brock Bowers out and and have him rumble in space. They want to get him the ball and uh, moving, moving fast, and and he he can play a lot like a receiver. So uh, a lot more versatility. Jatavion Sanders is probably the more you know typical um tight end that TCU played against Texas and they they had some success there. Of course, some of that's due to quarterback play with um limiting the options there. I think actually uh, replacing a tight end with a wide receiver actually is a benefit for for excuse me, a wide receiver with a tight end in the past game. Um is actually a benefit for TCU. A lot of the time there are linebackers who have who've gotten um, understandably um, criticized for for some of their past defense. I think the linebackers have not been excellent. They've certainly gotten better over the season. A lot of it has to do with horizontal movement of wide receivers and switching assignments. When you have a guy in the bunch formation, you have a tight end in, he's motioning, whatever, um, that's going to give them a lot more clarity about, I'm, this, I'm here on this guy. Here's how we're going to move the ball. And Bowers, while he's an excellent athlete, may not be able to make the cuts that some of these uh, or get to the top speed as quickly as some of these guys that have beat them over the middle have been. So um, again, TC has been great at bringing guys down on, on big plays and making sure those big plays aren't touchdowns. So that certainly favors TCU um, slightly, even if Bowers has a big game to say, Hey, we, we have, you know, this could be worse if it was um, a a slot guy kind of spreading them out there as well. So I don't think tight ends, um, especially if Washington is out, um, and you think about how that changes the blocking for for Georgia and what they're able to do. Um, I think they'll be very, very simple on offense and try and just, you know do as little as necessary against this defense, which can be as uh, as confusing as possible um on on purpose. I, I really think that the tight ends aren't a unique weakness and might actually speak a little bit to TC's strength there,
0: yeah, yeah. i um I think I agree with that. I think I agree with That's that. not Let's... saying like Brock Bowers can
2: absolutely have a big game, but saying, <laughs> Um, especially if Washington's out, TCU has
0: not been particularly beaten up by tight ends this season. Right, right. That's a, so a big thing that has been brought up uh, at other outlets, of course, is uh, the fact that A.D. Mitchell is back, the wide receiver for Georgia, and he had a, a decent day against Ohio State. Uh, it was an added element that they have not had uh, with that deep threat, at least that that pulls you know some of their safeties back a little bit. Uh, you look at what teams have done against Georgia on the season. And against that defense, they have thrown the ball over 60% of the time. Now, part of that is because Georgia has gotten up to such huge leads, so they've had to throw to try and get back into the game. Uh, But they've thrown over 60% of the time against Georgia's defense, and Georgia still finished number eight PPA per pass, number 14 in passing success rate allowed. Uh, On the season, TCU, however, number 18 PPA per pass, and number 59 passing success rate. Big split there, of course, because of the uh, explosive play rate, uh, which I brought up earlier. Uh, You look at that Georgia offense. Now, this is the other part of this. Uh, They have been really, really good. Like, what Todd Munkin has done with that offense has been nothing short of incredible. And and Stetson Bennett, uh, just fantastic. You know, we we talked about uh, guys that are ballers. Uh, This is two quarterbacks that absolutely get the job done in crunch time. Uh, You look at what Stetson was able to do over the last three drives against Ohio State. 10 out of 12 for 200-plus yards, had two touchdowns and three scores. Now, one of those was a field goal, but obviously it mattered in a one-point game there. Uh, But that was the last three drives against Ohio State. With Max Duggan, he was only 14 out of 29 for the game against Michigan, but he was five out of six passing in the fourth quarter. Like Those things certainly, certainly matter. Uh, you got to make plays in crunch time, and both of these guys can do it. Uh, but yeah, this this Georgia offense, number 14 in rushing success rate. The TCU defense is number 77. Georgia's offense uh, is number one. Uh, excuse me, number 23 PPA per rush. TCU's defense is number 82. Is that Parker? I'm I'm gonna move back over to you. It I, for whatever reason, every time I watch TCU, I feel like they do a good job of stopping the run. The numbers don't exactly bear that out. What is it that I'm seeing that that makes them look so much more successful than the numbers really are showing us?
2: Well, I have them as slightly better against the rush than the pass on the season on defense. 42nd in EPA rush allowed and 60th in EPA pass allowed. I think a lot of that has to do with um, big plays and kind of mim- minimizing the the damage there. But also you look at TCU all season, um, they've The game state matters in terms of how teams are are attacking them in rush and pass. Um, Their rushing success rate is is pretty bad on defense, 63rd. So kind of an interesting inversion here. Um, 63rd in defensive success rate against the rush, 47th in defensive success rate in the pass. But in EPA, 60th in EPA per pass, 42nd in EPA per rush. So what we're seeing there is that TCU is stopping passing success, but prone to giving up the big play. That's a bad sign against Georgia. Um, But they are not as efficient stopping rushing success but they're limiting those big plays. So that is really interesting to me because Georgia's second in EPA per pass, 66th in EPA per rush uh even as they are uh 17th in rushing success rate. So what TCU has like it matches almost perfectly. Georgia wants to have multiple successful runs. They're not very explosive in the run game. TCU uh, gives up multiple successful runs, but stops explosiveness in the run game. So you wonder if if Georgia won't be able to um, really raise their rushing floor, especially if they get up into a positive game state and they won't be able to just run this thing out with successful rushing against the TCU defense. that's uh, been better in in the back end against the rush than, than kind of on the front end. Um, that that kind of split and mismatch, I think, is really interesting and really telling into the styles here as for how that offense works. Um, Georgia really balanced on early downs and on late downs, 12th and early downs EPA, 6th in 3rd uh, and 4th down success rate. TCU is actually slightly worse uh, on early downs, 50th in defense on 1st and 2nd down EPA, but they're 35th, slightly better in 3rd and 4th down success. So, um, there, there's not an obvious split of, hey, Georgia in early downs passing or, or you know late downs rushing is really boosting them. They're balanced and solid o- all over, even if they're not very explosive in the run game. So, uh, again, kind of a knock on TCU is what their defense has done well is stop explosive runs. What Georgia's offense has done well is uh, forsaken explosiveness for uh, success and consistency. So I do think Georgia has a very, very high rushing floor here, which, one, matters for bodies and for scheme, because, again, Georgia likes to get – uh we'll absolutely take that big play that deep man that's open um but also just in terms of a time on the clock situation georgia can really really lean on tcu with a successful run game um if they if they get up knowing that the second the tcu safeties creep up to overcompensate we're going over the top and we're going to find one of our big men downfield
0: it's going to be incredibly interesting incredibly interesting to see exactly how these two coaching staffs uh, decide to try and attack each other. Um, Let's, let's look at some of these other numbers right quick. Kyle, I want to bring you back into this. Uh, What would you say if I told you one of these teams is number one in red zone conversion percentage on offense and on defense, and the other one is number 68 on offense and number 61 on defense? How, How would you feel about that, Kyle?
1: I think that was pretty interesting. Um, I, I assume TCU is the one that's been better in the red zone.
0: No, TCU has been number 68 okay. on offense, number 61 on defense. Georgia, number one in the country on both sides. I, If you're looking oh. at big plays, which I expect in this, uh, I don't know how much that necessarily matters because it was kind of the same situation against Ohio State last week. Uh, but I, I think red zone conversion percentage does kind of – uh, come up in a in a game like this, right Kyle?
1: Yeah, I thought TCU had been better in the red zone on offense than that. That kind of surprises me. So, um yeah, I know Georgia's has done really well uh with making the most out of their possessions especially in these big games. Stetson Bennett, um you know, for for all the talk, he's definitely gotten much better. Uh, you know, he's progressed a lot, improved as a passer. Um Bennett can run too. I wouldn't be surprised if Bennett uh makes some plays with his legs in a game like this. Um I think that Ohio State's defense made it a little bit easier than they should have um, against Georgia. I think maybe TCU could have a better scheme than Ohio State had in that game. Now, does that mean that they can keep Georgia out of the end zone here? I don't know. I mean, they're going to have to. Uh, that's. I think that's going to be key. I mean, because if you let Georgia score touchdowns every time they get in the red zone here, then it's lights out. Um, and and from the other side, TCU's defense, You know, they're going to have to uh, get – Uh, they're going to have to get some stops and TCU on offense is going to have to get in the end zone quite a bit. As far as the other thing I wanted to say real quick, I wanted to say that the special teams, I think we should give Georgia some props. They've been really good on special teams this year. Um, That could matter. It mattered against Ohio state. It could matter in a game like this. Um, Georgia good kicker. Uh, I know he missed the one field goal there, but a good kicker. And uh, I think uh, TCU, not terrible on special teams, but according to PFF, You know, no better than middle of the pack, uh, Georgia's top 15 in special teams. So there's enough edges there for Georgia that it's kind of justified to have a pretty big spread. Um, As far as, you know, uh, how they'll do in the red zone in one game, I think that's a little bit tough to predict. You know, I mean, you know, we look at red zone numbers over 13 games or something, and then you say, well, then let's let's extrapolate that to this one game. And then things can just go haywire in one game. So it's, it's hard to say what that will mean in this one. I do think that, you know, the numbers point to what we see right here. And that's what Gary was saying earlier. I mean, I had this at 12 points. Uh, you know, it's hard You sit there and you say, well, what kind of edge do I have? I really don't see a big edge here. Uh, that's why, you know, we want to be careful. It would be easy for us to just go out here and all of us make, you know, multiple plays on this game, and it would it would sound tremendous. But in the end, we're trying to, to help people make money. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make money ourselves. So... Uh, you know, definitely stay tuned. And we'll be back on Monday with those plays as well, because I don't want to make it sound like we won't have any plays here, but, but uh, I think it is uh, kind of a good point for sports bettors in general, that you don't have to force something that isn't there.
0: I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent on that. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up by let's, let's give out those leans again. I'll go on and tell you mine. Uh, I do like the TCU over 24 and a half team total points. Uh, and it's, it's juiced at minus 125, but I still feel like there's enough value there. Uh, and I do like uh TCU plus the 12 and a half. Now, not enough to, to put like a full unit on it, but this feels like a pizza money kind of game to where, yeah, I'm going to want to have a little juice on it. I'm going to want to have some action on the game on Monday night. It's the only one there. Uh, so yeah, I, that's the way that I'm going to roll with it. Kyle, uh, tell us, tell us your liens again.
1: Uh, my lean would be TCU in the first half plus seven. You might even be able to get a seven and a half at some point. We'll see. If I get a seven and a half, I'll put some money on TCU in the first half. Um, and as far as the total, I'm going to lean to the over, thinking that there'll just be
0: explosive plays on each side. That does seem to make sense, Parker. What about you? I'd I would assume that you're going to ride with the Horned Frogs as well, right? I um,
2: I don't know. I don't know. My numbers. I'll say my. I'll talk about my model for a second. Has. Uh, <laughs> Actually has an under Georgia about twenty-seven to fifteen, um, and some of that is coupled by Georgia's really good at finishing um, drives and and holds um, holds teams down, and they're really good at finishing drives as well. So I think if if we get into a positive game state for Georgia, few possessions, um, we're looking at you know that low total, um, high margin situation where you you'd be inclined to bet on TCU here. Uh, Who knows how much Georgia can lean on TCU, how much they can dictate the pace of play. Michigan certainly couldn't. Um, But Georgia does have a little bit more firepower than Michigan in terms of winning uh, a shootout and and keeping up. So um, I don't have a lean on the over-under or the total. Um, I'm as nervous for this football game as I think I've ever been since uh, since maybe high school or something. But uh, um, I think that the slight lean would be towards TCU just because it is a big game. Um, although we've seen in the national championship games like Clemson and Alabama, where one team gets up early, the other one says, yep, we're done here. Um, and, it, and it gets out of control. So we'll be watching this one as a fan, no pizza money for me, nothing just going to sit and and watch football. Glad with the work we've done this season and and do want to shout out Kyle because um, he's taught me a lot about betting in, in many ways, but also like having action for the sake of action is, is bad betting and it's a disservice to the people who are listening. So I'm glad we're all here and uh, talking about this game. And, and I'm glad our, our listeners are certainly on the same page with us as um, knowing that we can break down the angles without without offering advice for the sake of offering advice.
0: I think that is incredibly, incredibly well put. Well put. Uh, Quadropheniac in the chat said, tailgating is allowed in the pink parking lot, but not in any other lot. He said, this is SoFi Stadium stupidity. It doesn't occur at all other stadiums in California. Uh, w- yes, I know this. I know that you can tailgate at the Rose Bowl. You can do some other things uh, at other stadiums. Uh, it was all in jest. I'm just messing with you guys. <laughs> Good gracious. Let's, uh, let's jump into the Q&A. Let's, uh, let's, let's get a few questions here before we dive into uh, next Monday's show. Robert Holt wants to know, who are the refs working the game? And I don't have that answer, uh, Parker or Kyle. Do either of you know who the referees are going to be for the national championship game? I,
1: I don't. I don't know. Have they announced that yet? I mean, it might be a little bit Jeff early. Heaser,
2: Jeff Heiser. Jeff Heiser. ACC is the is the head is the crew. Oh, okay. ACC. According to according to Wikipedia. So do your do your diligence. <laughs> but I do believe it's an ACC ref.
0: Interesting. Um, Refing crew. Yeah. That's uh that's interesting. Uh, all right, so Mark Holmes jumps in. Parker, do you have any stats on how often TCU looks for number one on pass plays? It seems like they target him often.
2: Yes, I um so this this number certainly excludes um, dropbacks where he was the number one call, which would inflate this. But Quentin Johnson has a twenty two point eight percent target share here uh, this season. If you take out the Tarleton State game where he played like two series. Um, and, and just against FBS competition, he is uh, 75 targets and 24.3% target share. So last season, he was over 30. This season, because the, the offense has been functioning a little bit better, they've been able to select his targets better, but still get him a high volume. Um, in that Georgia game, he was, you know, he he had um, Georgia. I keep saying the wrong thing <laughs> in that Michigan game. Um, he led the team uh, with with nine targets. No one else had more than four, I believe. So, um, as QJ goes, so goes the TCU offense for for sure. They'll do everything they can to get the big man the ball. Um, my favorite thing is to watch. He'll get the ball three ways: one, running across the field horizontally. Two downfield because he's beaten a man or three credit to our friend Richard Johnson of Sports Illustrated who's saying um call this to everyone's attention. He'll get the ball with his back to the defender, kind of like a, a Ford in soccer and play a move where he flips around his hips. Uh Kyle talked about Keely Ringo earlier, and and Ringo's big, which should help with the matchup of Quentin Johnston, except for the fact that Quentin Johnston plays like he's 5'11, 180 instead of, you know, six, six, six foot, two hundred plus guy. So um we'll be interesting to see how that matchup happens. But certainly uh, I'd expect if not more than one in four, at least one in four of TC's targets to be towards Quentin Johnston. I
0: could totally, totally expect that. Uh, Kevin Connor jumped in. He said, uh, Georgia looks unstoppable. Uh, well, he must not have watched the Ohio state game. Um, and Matthew Farmer wants to know how often do you guys tweak your models during the season? Uh, I tweak it once after we get to about week four. And then again, but at it's an additional model, right? For me. Uh, so I do it two times once we get through the season. And then at the very end of the season, I take the last half of the games, or I guess the last six weeks of the games. And I look at that as a completely separate model. So that's how I do it. Uh, but as far as like actual tweaking of the numbers, uh, I don't really do that until the off season. Uh, but I mean, I've had a model that I've used for a long time. Kyle, uh, do you tweak your model, uh, during the season?
1: So I, I guess I would say I do it a little bit differently in that I don't have a model, quote unquote, per se. It's more of a you know function kind of uh, projecting what the score will be, and obviously power ratings. So I would say I tweak it every single week. What I do is I go back and look and see what the closing line was from the previous week. And if my number was a long ways off that, then I try to see what I was doing wrong. Because uh, there's a lot of people that will say, look, my number was 10 points off the the closing line. This is amazing, I have this much value. But in the long term, if you're off the closing number that much, then you're messing up. So uh, you you wanna see what you're missing. Uh, So I would say I tweak my process every single week um, that that takes a good while, you know. That's a Sunday Sunday night, Monday morning type of thing where you're you're going back and you're saying, okay, I had this. The market finished at this. Why might I have been right? Why might I have been wrong? Obviously, it's one game sample size, so you have to be careful with over correcting or making too big of an adjustment. But um, yeah, I, I adjust things every single week early in the season. I don't adjust near as much as I do later in the season because you know when you only have one or two game sample. Uh, you got to be really careful. But once you start seeing what the team is, uh, and then if you're pretty far off the number, then you have to be concerned. Uh, you know if if you think you have a big edge, then it's okay. You know you can go ahead and keep pushing that edge. But um if you're pretty far off from the number consistently, then you're probably just making a mistake.
0: yeah, that does there are there are two different ways to, I guess go at modeling, right? There's one that's based uh, specifically on stats. You can toss in the talent edge, et cetera. but there's, you know, from a a definitely in an older school kind of handicapping way is the power ratings, right? Uh, And that's the way that I I used to specifically do it. And now I've kind of built that in with uh, statistical values. Uh, Parker, I know yours are are very numbers based. Uh, How often do you tweak yours during during the season?
2: So I'm constantly playing with it, absolutely, because I'm interested and I've got some ideas for this off season, but um, I have some recency waiting and like, you know, start with my priors, kind of phase them out, recent, m- more games, uh, more recent games are, are more valuable, but I won't change that because again, I'm in season. I'm one button. I press one button and I have my numbers. And uh, and that's my goal for the off season is to get there. So I'll play around with it. And you'll see me, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll be like, hey, here's like an ELO way or here's like a different way to opponent adjust points. All of that is like, hey, I'm working on something and I'm excited about it, but I, I'm not going to change my numbers midseason, especially because from a data science standpoint, obviously I want to win money, right? Like if I'm betting and I want my numbers to be close, but I'm also interested in iterating and improving. And so I wanna back test uh, against chunks of seasons before I make any changes. And in season that kind of throws everything off. And then you get in the position where I'm like, well, if I'd kept my first model, I'd be 75% against the spread, but with my second model is like 40. So, you know, the, the other one was better, trust me. Like I never wanna come across like that. So I try to keep it, uh, you know, spend all off season saying, what do I think is work? works best. And then, I mean, you guys hear me like I'll disagree with my numbers where I'm like, no, that's stupid. I don't agree with that. And I'll lose most of those. But generally, um, I try to, you know, use those as a baseline. So um, I'm not changing my process in season because I think that like in fantasy football, tinkering often leads you to make
0: mistakes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If if you have a process that you know has worked, then Continue on with it, right? And, and then you can tweak a lot more stuff once you get to the off season, using the data that you've already got, like how did we get to that point, et cetera. I, I do that quite a bit uh, once we get past the bowl games, et cetera. So uh, I, I see a lot of people watching, and we've only got a few likes here. Uh, what are we doing? Hit the thumbs-up button for us. Do us that favor. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Uh, and I believe that this is going to wrap up things for today's show. Uh, good bowl season. Good college football season overall. It has been a lot of fun. Do not forget that we will be back on Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Monday, January 9th. We are going over player props and all the other different props that will be offered by BetUS uh, for Monday's national title game. This is going to be a lot of fun, guys. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. I cannot wait for that. Uh, Again, share out the show. Tell your friends about it. Uh, make sure that they all join us right here. We hit over 12,000 subscribers this year. Uh, I don't feel like we've brought that up enough. You guys are awesome. All the guys in the chat, Savage Dog, uh, Mike M., Coda, etc. cetera. You guys are Julius, who who didn't come back and, and brag about his Purdue win. I, I don't know why. Um, but, yes, you guys are wonderful, and we appreciate all of you for being here. Gentlemen, I'm looking through the notes. Reminder for the show on Monday, I think we're good to go. We're going to dive out of this thing. We spent almost an hour on one game, and we could probably have talked a lot longer about it. So let's go on and do this thing. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, Again, share the show out, tell your friends, subscribe, like the video, et cetera. And let's go on and do this. Uh, For BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football, and we'll see you all again next week.